You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. He asked me who I voted for, and I was like so stunned. Like, you know, federal government, that's like... Election 101, you're not supposed to ask the people who work for you who they vote for. That's Andrew McCabe, former acting director of the FBI. Emphasis on acting, because McCabe is describing what's essentially a job interview with his new boss, President Donald J. Trump. So the next time I went in, I said, I decided that because the work that we were doing had become so politically tinged, I didn't think it was a good idea for me to vote for anyone, so I, I didn't vote. Look, he looked at me like, what is wrong with you? Why would you lead off a job interview by saying I didn't vote for you? In case it wasn't clear from that story, Andrew McCabe, or Andy as most people call him, doesn't really have the right temperament, let's say, for this new president. What's more, Andy in this moment, and for the next few years— is focused on preserving this idea about his position and the position of the FBI itself when it comes to politics. And that is, stay out of it. But as he's about to find out in this administration, politics are as inevitable as death and taxes. I'm Miles Taylor, and this is The Whistleblowers. On this show, we're going deep into the heart of power to meet people who spoke out about wrongdoing from inside the Trump administration. Some were in the president's inner circle. Others were on the front lines of top agencies. But they all have a few things in common. The ethical gray areas, the doubts about whether what they did even made an impact. And they paid a price. As a leader at the FBI, Andy's very job was to be almost like an umpire of whistleblowing. He reviewed the most serious complaints of wrongdoing across the country and decided what merited investigation. But when the thing that merits investigation is what's happening in the White House, 
that's when it gets complicated. Episode 3, Injustice. We kind of felt like this is going to be terrible for us. It's summer, 2016. The presidential campaign is in full swing. And the FBI has an issue. Andy McCabe had worked on some pretty tricky cases in the 20 years that he was with the Bureau. Russian mobsters in New York. The Boston Marathon bombing. The 2012 attack on the U.S. Embassy in Benghazi. In fact, that Benghazi case had been very political. A group of House Republicans held multiple hearings about it, literally for years, focused on how Secretary of State Hillary Clinton could have done more to prevent the attack. Even so, this moment in July of 2016 was trickier. On July 5th, Andy's boss, FBI Director James Comey, announced that following a thorough investigation the Bureau would not be recommending charges against then-candidate Clinton for the use of a private email server while she was at the State Department. We cannot find a case that would support bringing criminal charges on these facts. Although we did not find clear evidence that Secretary Clinton or her colleagues intended to violate laws governing the handling of classified information, there is evidence that they were extremely careless You can hear Comey working really hard for balance here. There's no clear evidence that anyone intended to break the law, though clearly people screwed up. But for all of that effort on Comey's part to stay above the political fray, everyone is furious with him. GOP mainstay Jim Jordan goes on Fox News to complain, bitterly I might add, that no charges are being brought against Clinton. Well, if she takes it seriously, how did she not even know that C stood for classification? You know, something that's classified versus just a letter in the alphabet. I mean, come come on. Everyone knows she didn't take it that seriously. We know that's not true. And Hillary Clinton and the Democrats are just as mad about that comment that she and her staff had been, quote, extremely careless. It's like an indictment of her judgment and right in the middle of the campaign. It's a damned if you do moment for the FBI. And Andy, as deputy director, is in the thick of it. Whoever won was going to be a really strange and uncomfortable position for us. If Hillary Clinton won the presidency, which seemed to be the majority of predictions at that point, we would be then working for a president who we'd investigated in a high-profile case. We thought that we'd have a really hard time building the level of trust that the FBI needs to have from the president that we ultimately work for. So we thought that could be really challenging. But the FBI can't make decisions about what to investigate and what not to investigate just because there might be political blowback. In a case like this, politics was almost inevitable. In fact, the Bureau, they expected it. It was simply an investigation of whether or not classified material had been traversed unauthorized network. But the impact of it, because the people were political figures, everyone was standing on the sidelines cheering for one result or another. That politicizes the effect of your work, has a great impact on politics, even if that's not your intention. But there are two things the FBI does not expect. One, 
that right after closing the investigation into Clinton's email server in July 2016, like literally three weeks after, they'll have to open a new case, this time into the other campaign, the Trump campaign. The subject, the campaign's links to Russia and attempts from Moscow to interfere in the election. The FBI gets a tip that someone in the Trump campaign might have had advanced knowledge of the Russians' plans to hack and then leak emails from the Democratic National Committee and as well as people in the Clinton campaign. The investigation is dubbed Crossfire Hurricane. Here's Andy. You don't open an investigation because you know what happened. You have information that a threat to national security exists or that a federal law, criminal law, may have been violated. And you investigate to shed light on that and to reveal the truth. Coming right on the heels of the whole Clinton email uproar, the FBI is well aware of what they're walking into. Having been kind of burned, you know, by the Clinton experience, we went into it eyes open, realizing, like, this will be uncomfortable. This could impose great stress on the organization. But you don't refuse to investigate because you're afraid of political backlash. That would be capitulating to politics. And that's not something that FBI people do. It was a weekend, like a Sunday, I think. Uh, We were on our way to an event with our daughter, and I got a phone call from a Washington number. We got contacted by Devlin Barrett, who was then working for the Wall Street Journal, and he wanted to comment on this story that he was writing about this allegation that my wife had run for office in Virginia, for Virginia State Senate in 2015, while I was working at the Washington Field Office. And she lost. She ran as a Democrat and lost in November of 2015. And she was supported in her campaign by the then-governor, Terry McAuliffe. And Barrett was making this connection because Terry McAuliffe was a friend of the Clintons, that my wife had taken this money, and we had somehow profited from the Clintons. The Wall Street Journal story goes viral and gets major play across all the networks. There was, you know, suggesting there was some sort of political corruption or payoff here, which was preposterous. I remember how hard she worked in that campaign. I had nothing to do with it. And anyone can look in the Virginia campaign database and see exactly how every, every dollar was spent. And it was just so offensive. So the second thing they don't expect is personal attacks on the agents working the new investigation. By October 2016, Trump has zeroed in on the deputy director as a worthy target. It was just learned a little while ago that one of the closest people to Hillary Clinton, with long-standing ties to her and her husband, gave more than $675,000 to the campaign of the spouse of a top FBI official, his wife, who helped oversee the investigation into Mrs. Clinton's illegal email server. No wonder they found nothing wrong. How does that look? How does that look? So dishonest. That article led to Trump's attacks on us in his campaign rallies. It was just infuriating. To this day, like, 
even when reporters still write about this stuff, they throw the allegation out there. And it's like, it's still insulting and infuriating to me when people talk about that. But she is a great supporter of my career and a wonderful FBI wife. And she didn't get involved in, you know, going out publicly and attacking Donald Trump or defending herself. She did what we had to do at the time, which was just shut up and move on. Shut up and move on. At the FBI, that's essentially standard operating procedure. You don't get involved in these sort of tawdry political jousting matches on social media when you are a high-level official in the FBI. You just don't do it. Peter Baker is the senior White House correspondent for The New York Times. I asked him if he thought there was a kind of fundamental disconnect to how incoming President Trump saw the Justice Department and the FBI. At least since Watergate, the idea is the Justice Department is supposed to be an apolitical deliverer of justice. It's not supposed to be the political instrument or tool or weapon of a president. But he saw it that way. That's the way he saw everything. But in particular, the Justice Department. And he said it. What's remarkable about Trump is he didn't even try to hide it. Nixon at least knew that he was supposed to hide it. By late 2016 and early 2017, the relationship between the incoming president and the DOJ was headed south. And the investigation into Russia's involvement in the election was a little more than a sore spot. So from the very beginning, it was a sour thing. And this conclusion that they had, that they were very firm on, that Russia had interfered in the election for the specific purpose of helping Trump, undermined his conception of his own uh, presidency. He thought they were basically telling the country he didn't win fair and square. And so therefore, he was completely unwilling to even listen anything they had to say. Even if they weren't questioning his victory, he saw it that way. By the way, if it feels like we're talking a lot about Russia on this show, it's because the country came up in many of the whistleblower complaints and investigations during the Trump presidency. More specifically, the White House's interactions with Moscow set off alarm bells all across the administration, from the outer reaches of the NSA, where Reality Winner worked, to the president's inner circle. Okay, so, Peter Strzok is a former FBI agent who worked across the Russia investigation. He'd been at the Bureau for 22 years, specializing in counterintelligence, before landing on Crossfire Hurricane. I asked him about those early days of the new administration, and if anything felt different this time, compared to what he'd seen in the past. I started out, you know, Bill Clinton was the president, then we had two Bush administrations, two Obama administrations, uh, then finally Trump new administrations would come in and you could see foreign nations sort of adjusting and saying who are going to be the people who have influence, trying to figure out who their contacts are, trying to get people into that process so they could get information. But what was curious about Trump was you had a, a disproportionately large number of people that had not been in government before, certainly at that level. And so everybody was trying to figure out who the heck are these people and how do we influence them. Meanwhile, over the months of November and December 2016, the FBI was picking up signals that were alarming. The FBI was watching the Russian intelligence services. And in the context of watching the Russian intelligence services, saw all of this interaction with people who suddenly became to be associated with the Trump campaign and later the Trump administration, up to and including Trump himself. The FBI follows these leads and narrows in on a handful of key players. Andy McCabe again. Our investigation focused very specifically on individuals who we knew prior to the campaign had 
significant contacts with Russians. And it's well known now those four people were Carter Page, George Papadopoulos, Mike Flynn, and of course, Paul Manafort. They were all involved in the campaign. They all had these historical connections with Russians. Naturally, the Bureau briefs the White House on what they're seeing. It's only the first few months into the president's term, and the U.S. intelligence community is churning out these urgent bulletins that a foreign adversary is trying to manipulate the American political system. But at the White House, there's a bizarre lack of interest in the topic, almost like an aversion to it. And for a veteran investigator like Andy, this starts to raise some flags. Why would someone not take this seriously, especially after we've sat down, sent our experts in there to talk to him ex- you know, expressly about this threat? Um, it just never lined up. Seems to be oblivious or dismissive of the Russian threat, which is just odd. I mean, it sticks in your mind as an investigator trying to, trying to sort all this out. Peter Strzok. Again, At the end of the day, the FBI's job is to protect Trump, to protect the presidency, to sit there and say, we want to create an environment where as best you can, you can act to protect the national security of the United States, to advance national security interests without undue influence or penetrations or any foreign nation. And that was concerning. I've never seen anything like it in my career. Like everybody we started looking at, you lift up those rocks and it's a disaster underneath. And, and it just keeps getting worse and worse. One of those people the FBI was looking at was General Mike Flynn. Now, this is Trump's pick to be national security advisor. In December of 2016, while the FBI is conducting routine surveillance of Russian foreign agents, the Bureau picks up on a conversation between Flynn, who's just a member of the Trump transition team at this point, and the Russian ambassador. In that conversation, they talk about sanctions the Obama administration is imposing because of Russian interference in the election. Now, it's a sensitive national security issue, not something you're supposed to talk about in unofficial channels before a new administration is sworn in. And what's worse, when the FBI asks Flynn about it, he just lies. Flynn lasts 24 days as national security advisor before Trump, bowing to pressure, ends up asking him to resign. Ari Melber, on his show on MSNBC, is quick to point out this isn't just a political thing, it's illegal. Tonight, officials say Michael Flynn lied to the FBI. That could cost him a lot more than a job. It can land you in jail. Flynn denied to FBI agents he discussed U.S. sanctions against Russia with that country's ambassador before President Trump took office contradicting the contents of intercepted communications collected by intelligence agencies. The president is outspoken in his support, but not of the FBI or, you know, the rule of law, but of Flynn. Michael Flynn, General Flynn, is a wonderful man. I think he's been treated very, very unfairly by the media, as I call it, the fake media in many cases. I think it's really a sad thing that he was treated so badly. And people are trying to cover up for a terrible loss that the Democrats had under Hillary Clinton. So none of this is making the Bureau especially popular with the new president. But making people happy is not their job. And by making comments like this, the president just draws more attention to the fact that he seems to want to sweep this whole issue under the rug. So Andy does 
what he's always done. I just keep my head down, do my job, and show up every day. So that was just kind of like a perseverance thing. Yeah, maybe that'll work. But given who Andy is dealing with in the White House, not so much. May 9th, 2017. This is when everything changed. Andy is in the middle of a very busy day. I'm told by my staff that the Attorney General, Attorney General Sessions, wants to talk to me. I come out, assuming he's on the phone. They're like, no, he's not on the phone. He wants you to come over and see him. And so I knew, like, oof, this is not going to be good. So I grabbed my lock bag and a notebook. I had one security guy then as deputy, and we walked across the street. And there were, as I got to the corner, I saw there were news trucks in front of the FBI building, which seemed odd to me. I didn't, I wasn't aware of anything newsworthy that was going on. But something newsworthy was going on. And I walked over there, waited for a few minutes, went into the attorney general's office. So I walked in and the AG was standing in front of me, just to the left of his desk, standing up very stiffly with his coat on, which I thought was odd. And to my right was Deputy Attorney General uh, Rosenstein, also standing very stiffly with his coat on. And I crossed the room to shake the AG's hand, and he said, I don't know if you've heard, but we've had to fire the director of the FBI. We've had to fire the director of the FBI. And, I mean, you know, you could have just knocked me down with one finger. I was, like, stunned. And I just said to him, no, I didn't hear that. What a stunning decision from President Trump, firing FBI Director James Comey only the second time in American history a president has taken that step. The decision took Comey by surprise. He found out from TV on a recruiting trip to Los Angeles. He thought it was a joke. On Good Morning America, anchor George Stephanopoulos delivers the shocking news of James Comey's firing. The sudden dismissal of Comey hits Andy hard, but there's something else that he's struck by, too. One of my first concerns was that our investigation might be shut down. And we wanted to make sure that our documents were absolutely all in line. Not only has his boss been sacked, but Andy and the FBI are worried the firing might be an attempt to obstruct their investigation. Here's Peter Strzok. There was an extraordinary sense of uncertainty about what was coming. And I remember that, you know, the night or the second night after Comey was fired, essentially staying there all night, figuring out, okay, what are the next moves? And a huge part of that concerned the investigations in and around Trump that were going on, but also more broadly for the FBI. What are the other things, you know, that needed to be taken into account and done to preserve the integrity and independence of the FBI? Are we sitting there facing something where there's going to be a directive from DOJ or Secret Service or other agents showing up and saying, Trump has demanded that you produce all of the case file and, you know, he wants it right now. And whether legally we could not honor that request or not, and he's the president, and I think the sense was, you know, we couldn't. Well, we need to protect this information as best we can. When Jim Comey got fired and we really faced this idea that there might, in addition to Russian meddling, there might actually have been obstruction of justice going on here in the firing of Jim Comey. So at that point, we had to open a case on Trump, a case captioned with Donald Trump's name. With the firing of his boss, Andy is now automatically in the top job as the acting director of the FBI. The very first night, he is called into the Oval Office for a meeting with the president. It's an audition. 
he called over and asked me to come meet with him that night. So I went over, and when I walked in the room, he stands up from behind the Resolute desk, comes over to shake your hand, and just starts talking. He just kind of, like, stream of consciousness, machine gun, just starts going. It's almost hard to follow. I've experienced those streams of consciousness. And, yeah, they're really hard to follow. And at the end of this little diatribe, he said, I understand you were part of the resistance. And I was like, I said to him, I'm sorry, I don't know what you mean. And he said, well, I understand, I've been told that you didn't like Jim Comey and you didn't approve of the decisions he made in that Clinton case. And that, you know, da, 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 da. And, and that was the offer, really. That was the, like, whose team are you on here? I'll create this false scenario that that's the direction you're leaning. You just need to confirm it. The president is offering Andy, who he assumes is grateful for this promotion, a chance to demonstrate his loyalty by bashing his old boss, Jim Comey. And I said, no, that's not true. I worked very closely with Jim. I respect him. I was a part of those decisions. I said I didn't agree with all of them. I respect those differences of opinion, but I was a part of that case. And I you know, think very highly of Jim Comey. And I remember he was just kind of looked at me like, what? Like... <laughs> He couldn't believe it. And then he just went on to something else. Next day, he calls up and says, come back in the afternoon to talk about something else. And went over there, and he asked me who I voted for. And that's when Andy says he didn't even vote. So he's clearly not a political animal. Or in this moment, he would be playing his cards a little bit better. And he's clearly not much of a climber, because this is not how you get past acting director status and win the full-time job. He's just a 20-year veteran of the FBI, and to him, none of this is normal. But things get even crazier as reasons start to swirl for why Comey was fired. Andrea Bernstein is a Peabody award-winning journalist and host of ProPublica's podcast, Trump, Inc. She points out that, at first, the administration tried to establish a semi-plausible story for why FBI Director James Comey had suddenly gotten the axe. They tried out this memo from Rod Rosenstein that says it's because of the way he handled the Hillary Clinton investigation. In other words, this is payback against Comey for dismissing the Clinton case without criminal charges in the summer of 2016. And then after all of this, Trump comes out and says it was because of Russia and he wanted to get the load off his mind. With admirably few filters, the president himself goes with the truth. Two days after Comey is fired, Donald Trump goes on NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. The anchor seems completely dumbstruck by the scoop the president hurls in his lap. What I did is I was going to fire Comey. My decision, it was not... You had made the decision before they came uh, in. I, I was going to fire Comey. When I decided to just do it, I said to myself, I said, you know... This Russia thing with Trump and Russia is a made-up story. It's an excuse by the Democrats for having lost an election. He's a showboat. He's a grandstander. So after his attorney general tries to make it look like Comey was fired for professional misconduct by DOJ leaders, Trump slips the truth. He fired Comey. And he fired him because he was mad that the FBI was investigating his administration. And its suspicious communications with Russia. The president seems to think that talking about it on national television is a good way to make it all go away. But it doesn't play out like that. 
Late today, the Department of Justice announced it will appoint a former FBI director, Robert Mueller, as an independent special counsel to investigate the Trump administration and allegations of Russian interference with the presidential election. CBS News reported on the most recent escalation. Now, the president is facing a possible obstruction of justice investigation in addition to the existing probe. So the Department of Justice decides to appoint a special prosecutor, ramping things up dramatically. But the media isn't aware of everything it took to get there. Because back at the Justice Department, Andy McCabe had been putting a full court press on the Deputy Attorney General, Rod Rosenstein. Over the course of these conversations, it took place maybe over a week in May, I can kind of very intentionally continued to increase the pressure on him around making that decision and telling him that I was going to go to Congress and brief the Gang of Eight on the case that we'd opened was a way to, like, really draw the issue to a head. And, you know, to his credit, he did decide to bring in the special counsel. Rosenstein had been reluctant to appoint a special counsel, but he caves when Andy suggests they need to inform the Gang of Eight about their concerns, the group of the most senior members of Congress from both sides of the aisle, who get briefed on sensitive intelligence. The issue is becoming so serious, they need to bring in an independent prosecutor. Now, Rosenstein is all in. I know for a fact that he felt very strongly about the fact that there might have been obstruction of justice involved here and that we needed to do something to collect evidence of that. That's why he volunteered to wear a wire into the Oval Office. Hold on a second. What? The deputy attorney general offers to wear a wire to a meeting with the president, like out of a Martin Scorsese movie? Andrea Bernstein, again. Trump thinks, okay, he sent the signal. He's fired the guy, which means the next guy is going to kowtow because the next guy doesn't want to be fired also. I think this was sort of the fundamental misunderstandings of Trump was that You know, this wasn't The Apprentice. This wasn't a situation where people wanted to be The Apprentice, to make it to the end, that there were things to people worse than being fired. Miles, I knew at that point that my role in opening that case and pushing for the special counsel, and there's no way that wasn't going to get back to Trump. And that was it. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. I knew it was just a matter of time. It's summer of 2017, and special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation is underway. Convening grand juries, asking hard questions. To the investigators, this is a really serious case. And to Trump, they are, of course, a big thorn in his side. By the way, the president is aware that his acting FBI director is behind it. And in case it wasn't clear, after that performance in the Oval Office... Andy does not get the top director job. I didn't know how, when, or where, but I knew that Trump would be gunning for me. And sure enough, I would consistently get, like, these unsolicited reports from people about horrible things that Trump had said about me and their plans to get me and to fire me and get rid of me and and all this stuff. You know, my daughter, she used to rib me when I was acting director. I would come home and she would say, did you get fired today? And I'd say, not yet, <laughs> but tomorrow's a new day. You know, we kind of joke about it. I was, I was actually laying the groundwork with them. It got so intense. At one point, I, I started, like, talking to a lawyer who I was just like, I don't know what to do. I feel like something terrible could be coming in terms of my employment, in terms of my career, and I'm just not. I'd never confronted a situation like this. I remember this point in the administration because that's when it became clear to the president that the Justice Department and the FBI and these other law enforcement agencies are clearly not there to serve his political agenda. And he's pretty unhappy about that. So that's when he starts to turn on them, making them the enemy. And they know it. Peter Strzok remembers. People are operating with little sleep and, you know, you're eating like shit because you don't have time to eat. So you're eating granola bar, some, you know, stupid candy bar from the vending machine and... It just, all of that compounds the pressure. Andy is almost up for retirement. So he decides to stay on just long enough to help the new FBI director get settled into the building. But he's looking out at the calendar at March 18th, 2018. That's the day when he will officially qualify for his pension. During my own interview for the director's job, I was interviewed by the AG and... Dag uh, Rosenstein, and then, of course, interviewed by Trump. And I was very clear to all of them that I, was not, I did not intend to stay past my retirement eligibility. So it's near the end of 2017, the holidays. And after the year from hell, Andy's looking forward to a relaxing break with his family. My wife's family was meeting actually in London for Christmas. So we thought, that sounds great. 
let's let's get out of here for a week or so and just take the kids on a on a vacation and kind of put the whole thing behind us at least temporarily and I had been very clear with the new director, Christopher Ray. told him on day one what my plan was to leave in March of 2018. There were, like, articles in the Washington Post about the fact that I was planning to retire by then. That same weekend, the Post ran some sort of article about it. But on December 23rd, not sure what provoked him on that day, but he started tweeting about me again. And one of his tweets, he said he was racing me to my retirement. Like... Could he get me before I could retire, sort of thing. NBC News reported on the relentless barrage of presidential tweets that were aimed at Andy. Today on Twitter, the president taunting Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, top ally of Fire Director James Comey, racing the clock to retire with full benefits, 90 days to go. It was either the 23rd or 24th of December, and my family was just like... Oh my God, what does that mean? Like, is it gonna happen now? <laughs> You're getting fired for Christmas? I saw one of my in-laws and I walked, in, walked into the room and uh, that person said to me, oh, here's Mr. Popular. I was just like, oh, this sucks. It was kind of terrifying, to be honest. Like, I just, I could see, you know, retirement like two and a half months away. And I was just like, wow. Am I going to make it, or am I not? Spoiler alert. He doesn't make it. On March 16th, 2018, just 26 hours before his scheduled retirement, Andrew McCabe is fired by Attorney General Jeff Sessions via press release. Jeff Sessions has just fired the former deputy FBI director, Andrew McCabe, little more than 24 hours before McCabe was set to retire after over two decades as a federal employee. McCabe has become a lightning rod in political battles like the Russia investigation. I remember that Friday night when Brian Williams recited the shocking news in his usual monotone. I was struck by it, by the pettiness of the decision. When they made the decision to pull your employment right on the brink of retirement, what's the feeling like in that moment? It's just sickening. I mean, you feel like you've, you know, you've sustained like a body blow. You feel like you've been run over. And to be clear, like, I am very lucky. My wife is a physician. She has a, she has a good job. I knew that we would be fine. And we'd be able to keep the lights on and food on the table. But even so, the pension and the security, health insurance, all this stuff that I've been literally working for for 21 years, it's just gotten obliterated in a, in a cloud of, like, political retribution. It just didn't even seem possible. Any kind of, like, legitimate career prospects in the private sector just evaporated. When you become, like, this politically controversial, even though not by your own decisions or anything, you know, the private sector doesn't like controversy. Attorney General Sessions' public justification was that Andy had allegedly misled the Justice Department and investigators when they asked him if he provided information to a journalist back in October 2016 about the Clinton investigation. Now, Andy had confirmed the investigation to a reporter without approval, and later he denied authorizing the release of that information. 
He claimed that he hadn't lied to investigators. He was just confused about what they were asking. And he messed up, no question. But a fireball offense? Not usually. This was about sending a message. Andrea Bernstein, again. The message is, if you are disloyal, if you speak out, you will pay. I think this goes to the question of speaking out. People were afraid. People said that they had seen friends, associates, ruined by Donald Trump, or they just didn't want to have to deal with it because they saw what would come. A couple of months after McCabe is fired, Agent Peter Strzok, who's also been working on the special counsel investigation, gets the boot. Notionally, it's because the FBI discovered hundreds of text messages between Peter and an FBI lawyer, Lisa Page. They were romantically involved and apparently had made negative comments about Trump, which creates the appearance of bias. An internal disciplinary office recommends the agent be suspended for 60 days and face a demotion. Instead, he's fired. Trump's former chief of staff and my former boss, John Kelly, later revealed that Trump had been fixated on Strzok. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Shut up and move on. That's the FBI way, rather than fighting in the political muck. But once you're out of the bureau, you can tell your side of the story. And you can also shine a light. In February 2019, St. Martin's Press publishes Andy's tell-all book, The Threat. How the FBI protects America in the age of terror and Trump. You might call this whistleblowing through a book deal. And that might seem cynical or maybe less courageous. But by writing this book, Andy chooses to throw himself back into the very public crosshairs he was trying to escape. 
It makes him toxic to future employers. It's a total bridge burner. And he does it anyway. Forget about me. It's important that people know actually what happened and can see from the inside, like, what it's like when you're a career, lifetime government servant and you stumble into the crosshairs of not just politics, but politics that are being driven by a vindictive, small-minded, cruel president who has no concern for the rule of law, for the health and welfare of our democracy, for the institutions we rely on to keep this country moving. And this is what it's like when the president decides he wants to destroy you. The president offers his own review. Well, I think Andrew McCabe has made a fool out of himself. He really looks to me like sort of a poor man's J. Edgar Hoover. He's a, uh, I think he's a disaster. He is a disgraced man. He was terminated, not by me, he was terminated by others. This man is a complete disaster. Thank you all very much. At times, it was like absolutely unnerving when he was asked by a reporter, we accused us all of treason and it was pointed out to him that people who commit treason are put to death. And he's like, yeah, I know. If you look at Comey, if you look at McCabe, if you look at Strzok, if you look at his lover, Lisa Page, that's treason. That's treason. For Andy, probably the hardest part, if we have to pick just one, is the effect all of this had on his family. He's raising two high school teenagers who have to see their father fired and publicly humiliated. And then there's Jill, his wife. I remember when he was at the infamous meeting with Putin where he said all those incredibly stupid things about not believing U.S. intelligence and believing Putin instead. He also, in that press conference, um, he brought up my wife again. She told me later she was driving home from a meeting at another hospital and was like on the highway listening to like NPR, the coverage of the, of the press conference, and then she heard him ranting about her. And it just destroyed her. I mean, she started crying, like driving in the car, like, oh my God, oh my God, it's never going to go away. It's never going to stop. So there's moments like that that just, that just like leave a stain on you. You know, you can't get rid of it. But there's also the bigger picture. By sacking uncooperative people at supposedly apolitical places like the FBI and the Justice Department, the administration seemed to be testing their foundations and trying to get rid of people who were listening to the whistleblowers. Here's Peter Strzok. I do worry, certainly to the extent that it has a even a subconscious chilling effect on what the organization or individual agents and analysts are willing to do that might cause them to incur the political wrath of Trump or those around him. And that's the sort of concern I have about the subconscious impact of if an organization places its survival as such a high priority, that risk aversion seeps in. Journalist Peter Baker has a different take. One of the most important days of his whole presidency was January 3rd, 2021, three days before January 6th, when he's trying to strong arm the remainder of the Justice Department to come out and endorse his fictional account of a stolen election. And here are all these guys who worked for him, wanted to work for him, asked for the jobs to work for him, sitting in the Oval Office saying, we're not going to do that. He's trying to force the Justice Department to basically help him steal power, to stay in power without this consent of the governed, and they stood up to him. And it's just, um, 
Boy, we talk about institutions, and what I came out away from this was, yeah, institutions, hell, but they're really about individual people. Social media is absolutely flooded today with threatening posts in the wake of the FBI searching Mar-a-Lago. Supporters writing things like, lock and load, when does the shooting start? And they will cry out in authentic pain soon. On MSNBC, the anchor is clearly rattled by violent threats against the FBI following the Bureau's search of former President Trump's residence in Mar-a-Lago, Florida, in August 2022. The National Archives had been trying to retrieve classified documents that the former president had taken from the White House. The FBI obtained a search warrant and had finally taken this unprecedented step, no doubt knowing the political firestorm that would come their way. The former president responds to the threats of violence by fanning the flames. The FBI and the Justice Department have become vicious monsters controlled by radical left scoundrels, lawyers, and the media who tell them what to do, you people right there, and when to do it. Two days after the FBI raid, an armed man in body armor with an AR-15 and a nail gun is shot by police as he tries to breach the FBI's Cincinnati field office. Social media posts by the attacker encourage others to shoot agents on sight. Andy McCabe. I had hoped, probably naively, that those sort of attacks on the FBI were limited to myself and Jim Comey and the others who worked with us on the Russia case and the Clinton case. Most people in the FBI saw it that way as well. The turning point it has been Mar-a-Lago. And the immediate reflexive action of, you know, Team Trump to attack the FBI agents who executed a lawfully authorized search warrant. These allegations that FBI agents have been planting evidence in Mar-a-Lago and all kinds of other stuff. That's had an incredibly shocking impact on people in the Bureau. Still. The FBI's decision to go ahead with that raid says something. The chilling effect that Peter worries about didn't seem to keep the FBI from ultimately doing their jobs, whatever the political fallout. It's just that now the stakes seem a lot higher. Every time someone in American political leadership goes on television and attacks the FBI, they are undermining the public's confidence in the work that the FBI does. And that ultimately makes us all less safe. And speaking of death and taxes, the year after Trump left office, the New York Times broke the news that in 2017, out of 153 million individual tax returns filed that year, two notable individuals had been selected for a randomized audit. Their names, James Comey and Andrew McCabe. Like the FBI, the IRS is supposed to be a completely apolitical arm of government. But former White House Chief of Staff John Kelly later told reporters that someone had specifically asked him to order IRS investigations into those men. Donald J. Trump. Kelly didn't follow through on the request, but after he left, the audits happened anyway. By the way, it's a violation of federal law to request directly or indirectly, that the IRS investigate a specific taxpayer. 
that prohibition applies to any executive branch employee, including the President of the United States. Next time on The Whistleblowers. When Lieutenant Colonel Alex Vindman was a young immigrant from Ukraine, his father told him that in America, unlike Russia, you can speak truth to power without being sent to a gulag. But when Alex lands in his dream job at the White House, he discovers that with this administration, that's not exactly the case. Whistleblowers is a production of iHeart Podcasts in partnership with Best Case Studios and Arc Media. It was hosted by me, Miles Taylor, and written by me, Isabel Evans, and Adam Pincus. Isabel Evans is also our producer. Associate producers are Hannah Leibowitz-Lockard and Ashley Warren. Darcy Peacolt is consulting producer. Zach Herman is the VP of Development of Arc Media. This episode was edited by Daniel Turek, with assistance from Max Michael Miller. Original music is by James Newberry. Executive producers are me, Miles Taylor, Adam Pincus for Best Case Studios, and Barrett Goodman for Arc Media. Beth Ann Macaluso is our executive producer for iHeartMedia, along with Ali Perry. Special thanks to Kevin Pham, all of our contributors and interviewees, and our intern, Anna Levitt. And a big thanks to the teams at Government Accountability Project and Whistleblower Aid, two of the best organizations for government and private sector whistleblowers seeking legal support. Follow and rate The Whistleblowers on the podcast site of your choice. To hear what these whistleblowers and others have to say about what they believe will happen under a second Trump administration or in the White House of a MAGA successor, you can pick up my new book, Blowback, from Simon & Schuster. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.